Hey everyone, and welcome to the Yes I Can podcast, where our mission is to inspire and empower you to transform your life and transform the world by being fully, unapologetically, authentically you. I'm your host, Paul Can, and every week we are going to share amazing stories, strategies, and coaching to help you break through your limiting beliefs and supercharge your greatest superpower, the power of you. Your best life awaits. Let's go. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Yes, I Can podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again, and I'm so excited to have you and really, really looking forward to diving into a very, I would say it's a, it's a challenging topic, but at the same time, so needed in terms of one that we get to face, one we get to dive into and really have a rich conversation around what it really means to really live life to its fullest. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation with our expert today. She is the host of the Purpose Filter podcast, where she shares stories and insights from her time spent with patients with life-threatening, often terminal illnesses to help transform the way we see the world. And her mission is to bring clarity, purpose, and meaning that comes from confronting one's morality, mortality. Um, And because everyone deserves a life, that they want in the time that they have to live with what's left. And her coaching and podcast is mixed together with inspirational wisdom, with practical action-based tips to help you live an extraordinary life on your terms. So please help me in welcoming our expert today, who is a palliative medicine physician, author, speaker, and transformational life coach, Dr. Kathy Zhang. Thank you, Dr. Kathy, for joining us today. Kathy, I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Paul. Thank you so much. It's been uh, a long time trying to get this together, and I'm glad we're finally here together. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's it's not an easy one. I think it's one that often is is challenging to talk about, but at the same time, I think it's important because um, for those that follow Gary V, I know I do. One thing that he often talks about when people ask him, "What is, can you give me motivational advice? Can you?" share something with me that I can record and listen to, to remind me of why I need to have that fire underneath me today. And he says, you're going to (laughs) die. And it's so simple. And I think it's very jarring, but if you really get to the core of it, I mean, what else can create more urgency in our lives than death? And I think often we are really great as a society in terms of with numbing that with finding ways to avoid it, with finding other things to distract us with. And it really actually takes away from the richness that this reality can bring to our lives because it really brings to mind life is now. So I w- you know, I'm really curious because I-, I have so much respect for you and your profession. It's not an easy one. Yeah. I think a lot of times when people select what do they want to major in, especially where they want to focus as a physician, palliative medicine is a challenging one because when they're at that stage, I mean, you know where they're headed, which is, uh, which is death. So I'm really curious myself in terms of what had you out of all the different fields of medicine say yes to this. And I'm really curious kind of, you know, what, what was it that really prompted you to want to really make a difference for patients that are going through this, uh, this last chapter in their lives and this, the stage in their lives? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're totally right. We, uh, are really good at numbing is the correct word. We just like 
kind of take it and we're just like, "Mm, going to put it in the closet. We're going to like shove it under the bed. We're not going to think about it. And so for me, what it was when you were just talking, I was thinking actually, when I was in med school, I asked a friend, I was like, what do you want to do once you graduate? And he goes, pediatric oncology, which is like kids with cancer. And I remember saying like, well, that's depressing. Uh, And look what I'm, look what I'm in now. So, Mm. Um, but I love palliative care. I used to work as a hospitalist, which means that I would take care of patients who were sick enough to be hospitalized. Um, You know, infections, pneumonias, heart failure, kidney issues. But I felt as though I was kind of doing like a revolving door. Like I would patch them up and then just send them on their way. And for me, it didn't feel fulfilling. It felt like I was just doing enough to get them back to where they could, you know, drive the car again and then just send them off. And so I wanted a much deeper connection. I wanted something more real. And what I love about hospice and palliative care and taking care of patients who are seriously ill and terminally ill is that everything is like on the table. This is really, it's important, right? It's life and death. We're talking about things that really matter. The emotions that come up are super real, super raw. Like you get so much love and so much joy and so much passion. You get a ton of grief, so much anger. Like I've had really, really angry people, you know, Mm. in family meetings with me and all this stuff because when it comes to life and death, when it comes to things that are actually important, people get really emotional. They get really invested in it and as they should. And so that's why I love doing this. And people are like, isn't it depressing? Isn't it really emotional? And it is, um, you know, I, there are days when I cry in at work with family members and, you know, but it just is so fulfilling to be able to sit there with them and be like, you know what, I'm here I'm going to help you through this. I have the training to be able to do this. And we're all going to have to go through this at some point. We're all going to die. We're all going to have family members who get sick. We're all going to have loved ones who die. And so why not start talking about it in a way that's healthy and productive rather than just pretending like it doesn't exist? Mm. You said something that was interesting in terms of what I, when you said that you faced a lot of people that were angry. Do you find, I'm curious in terms of, from that perspective, that anger is that, do you find that mostly comes from family or I'm curious in terms of with the patient themselves, what is often the perspective that you see when they are faced with, um, you know, where they're headed in terms of this knowingness that they're in their, the last chapter of their lives. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious in terms of the the difference that you see in perspectives, one between the family that is going through something very difficult, facing this reality as well, or maybe really struggling to face this reality um, to come to terms with it. And also at the same time, on the flip side, the patient itself that is actually going through this, really curious, what is the perspectives that you've seen from the two sides? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I had a psychiatrist who once said to me, he's like, anger is like rain. He's like, if you're standing out in the rain, you're going to get wet. And it's not necessarily that it's raining on you specifically. Mm. It's just that it is happened to be raining and you are in the crossfires. On the flip side, if it's sunny, it's not, the sun is not shining specifically on you, happens to be sunny in general. And so that was a really great way to take that 
kind of personal nature out of it because when people are angry, you feel like it's directed towards you specifically. And in these situations, most of the times it's because they're angry at the situation. They're angry because, you know, they had expectations for their life. You know, they were like, I was going to live to 140 or, you know, I was going to take these trips and watch my kids grow up and all this stuff. And so there's anger at what is unrealized. There's anger mm. at what could have been. Mm. And so that is something common for both patients and families. Mm. There's also this interplay between a lot of times patients don't want help or don't feel like they can ask for help or don't want to be a bother, especially for um, patients who are of like Asian descent or uh, from other cultures where it's just like, no, I'll just shoulder the burden on myself mm. and be like, you know, I'm not going to bother them. Or I'm not even going to tell them I'm sick. And then, you know, it gets too late and, and the family's like, what, why didn't you tell me this? Like we would have been here. We would have tried to help you. And so that's another thing that I see commonly and then also it's just, it's really difficult for families to know how to prepare, what to say when patients are sick because they're going through their own issues like existential distress, you know, the physical manifestations just to, you know, be in pain, be nauseous, vomiting, have to go through chemo, all of that, those changes, plus everything else on top of it. And so it is a tremendously difficult time for everyone involved. And if we as people, as family members, as healthcare practitioners can, you know, have conversations to help prepare for this, to help guide people through this, then it's just going to make it a little bit easier for people to deal with what's coming. Mm. Would you say that's the number one thing that you hear the most is regret in terms of, I wish I did more. I wish I did things different, or I thought it would be X, Y, Z. And I wish it, if I knew, if only I knew, I'm curious if, if, is that the number one thing that you hear often from palliative care, uh, palliative care patients? Um, or I'm curious if not, what is the most common thing that you hear or the most common kind of reflection from the patient? when they are in that that stage in their life? Regret is a common one. And I always thought, you know, my thoughts on regret are, regret is something that, let's say right now, I'm like, oh, I regret something in my past. It's just like, well, it's in the past. You can't really do anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. You can learn from that experience and move forward. The thing about regret at the end of life is that moving forward is finite that we don't they don't have as much time as we do mm -hmm. and so one of the things that i'm trying to do with the podcast is to shift those conversations upstream be like let's apply these lessons of the dying so that we can live better now but regret is really common um bronnie ware is a hospice nurse who wrote the book um top five regrets of the dying and there's a bunch of ones, but it's like, I wish I had the courage to be myself. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I would have kept in touch with people. So those are some common ones. But I think one of the biggest things is they get clarity on what's really important to them right now and what should have been important during their life. And so I think 
the way that you're approaching this episode, you know, living with the end in mind is how can we really try to mimic that clarity? How can we live with, you know, Gary V's like, you're just going to, you're going to die. How can we live with that and be like, okay, how is that going to inform the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis? How am I going to change the way I think about things, the way I react to certain challenges or problems, the way that I move and build my life so that when I get to the point where I am coming to the end, I don't have the regret. I'm not looking back and being like, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I was living a life in alignment with my values and my integrity this whole time. Mm. And then you get that peace where people are like, you know what? I've lived a great life. It's okay. You know, I didn't wish, I don't wish that this is happening, but I'm okay with it. Mm. And that is such a beautiful state of being and a state of mind that when you do see it in those patients, you're just like, oh, I wish everyone can have this. I wish every family could be as at peace with what's happening as others. Mm. Content is what I'm hearing about. Mm -hmm. Like really being content. I think that's really powerful because I know I, it's really interesting having gone through myself personally, different experiences of people close to me that have passed away. It's an incredibly difficult process. It's an an incredibly difficult experience to have, especially when you lose someone close to you. I think often we have the sense of it's never going to happen to me. Like we see a lot of it happen outside of us, like on the news or, or on social media. And we look at it all. That's really sad. But I think it's so different when you experience that loss yourself. And I think there is such an incredible lesson in that, like the clarity piece that you talked about. If we, those that are still living and moving on forward, I wouldn't say you move on, you move forward is there is such powerful lessons there for us to find that clarity within ourselves. I remember being at my sister's funeral. My sister passed away very early. Um, She was 19 at the time. Mm. And it was full. Her memorial service, her vigil, it was packed. It was so packed, we had overflow. And I'm like, wow, Like she's been alive for 19 years, barely even been an adult, if you really think about it. And she's made such an impact on people that so many people are showing up and I just so wish that she could have seen that myself. Mm. Um, but the moment for myself there was I really got to be quiet for a minute and ask myself, if I died tomorrow, how many people would show up at my funeral? Mm. It was a very sobering thought because I realized up until that point, like, what have I really done in my life? I was working at a corporate company and not a whole lot beyond that. I mean, I sell, I sold chips. That was, that was, if you really summarize it, really what I did. And they could probably replace me the next day. Not really, you know, anything that would be held back from that perspective. It was such a sobering thought to realize not very many people would show up because I really haven't made that much of a difference at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. And that really changed my life because I looked at it. I'm like, how do I want my life to be celebrated? Is it with a room of three people that maybe I made a difference with and they're my closest family members? Or would I want it to be full and overflow like my sister here? And what would it be like to live from 
that perspective of what I would want the end to look like. And so that that really, really changed the trajectory of my life. And that actually is probably a, a reason why I quit my corporate job and decided to follow my dreams, even though it's scary, even though it's completely doesn't feel secure the way that a corporate job would. Um, there's a lot of risk involved, but at the same time, that makes me think about that a lot around how many people am I impacting here versus how many people can I impact? And I've seen that reflection for myself, but I've also seen people that have faced death that are close to me as well. And they run away from it Mm -hmm. and they pretend it never happened, or they go off the other end of it being like all about me. Like I better get the most juice out of this life and like, forget about everybody else. It's just about me. I'm just going to like indulge in everything that I have and not actually spend any time to invest in anyone else. Cause that time is mine. And I find that so interesting in terms of how we interact with the same experience of death and really curious your perspective in terms of people that you have faced in terms of uh, worked with patients and uh, their, their family members, have you, as you've kind of seen them approach it, I'm really curious what your thoughts are in terms of the difference between interpreting death in one way, in terms of how can I use this to not only better my life, but also live in a way that makes an impact to better other people's lives and going the other way, which is from place of scarcity or ignoring death or feeling like I don't have time for anybody else but myself now because, because I have faced death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So death is so incredibly polarizing and I find a lot of times what it is, is that it just makes the stakes higher. In a sense, it amplifies the people that we already are to a much greater magnitude. And that I think also, you know, we're both coaches is something that we see even now, right? You take one person, one client, and you give them the same situation, you take another one and they react to it in a totally different way. And that's all because of their own internal monologue, their own mindset going into it, their own interpretation of the world. And so if you have someone who is normally very anxious, overwhelmed, frustrated, egocentric, that sort of thing, and then you give them a big challenge, like having someone be sick or on the brink of death, that it's, you know, a a lot of times there is something that just kind of clicks and people are like, okay, I'm going to come out of this pattern. But a lot of times it just further entrenches them in those old destructive patterns. A lot of times they dig in even further, like you said, because it's so scary. We don't think we can, we know how to deal with it. And so we go back to what's comfortable. We go back to our old patterns. And then we say like, I'm going to ignore it. It's not there. I don't have to deal with it. And that becomes really destructive. And then on the flip side, there are people who, you know, culturally, religiously, spiritually see death, not as an ending, but also as just another chapter, right? It's like the loss of your physical time on earth, but there's elsewhere. There's another beginning afterwards. And whatever you believe about that or not, I think the mentality is, is that we 
will be able to deal with the consequences of what's happening. Like we may not know what's beyond, we may not know what's going to happen to the family once someone is passed from this earth, but we trust and believe that we have the resourcefulness to be able to deal with the challenge, to be able to deal with what's coming up, to be able to deal with the grief of moving on, moving forward, not moving on. Right. Mm. And so it's a, it's a very difficult thing, but I find that it really just highlights what is already there before Mm. we have to deal with death. I think that's so juicy. What you just said there, that it makes you more of who you already are. I think that's difficult for people to see sometimes. I think that's really difficult. I know that I've had those moments before. I'm like, oh, I really don't like the version of me that I'm seeing. And we can want to run away, I think, at those moments of like, I want to pretend I didn't see this. Or for some people, they look at it and say, I need to do something different. And so I know for you in terms of with your podcast and the work that you're doing, I love how you're taking the lessons from facing mortality, facing death, to really make a difference to transform people's lives who still have time ahead of them right now. If you're here listening right now, you still have some time, at least you have today. We all know that. We still have this moment today. Right. What is, what re- what is required to make that shift? If that is what we face, because I think that's such an uncomfortable place and something that I heard the other day, I was listening to a episode of Red Table Talk, and they were talking about understanding hate, understanding people who are hateful, where hate comes from, understanding the mechanics of it. And something that uh, one of the um, experts said, she's a director, she's interviewed some of the leaders of white supremacist groups uh, or of extremists, and she was facing it so much herself that she decided to go towards a camera and turn the camera on them and really talk to these individuals. And she said, many times I faced uh, these, these individuals and they would share their personal experience that they faced themselves in terms of being rejected or being ostracized or facing oppression. And she said, it's so interesting that they turn, they turn towards a gun and I turn towards a camera. And she asked herself, what is the difference between the two that had me face a camera and them face a gun? And she said, I found the difference was who you're surrounded by with, like mm. who, who surrounds you, who is in your ear at that moment, who is influencing you. So that's why I think that what you're doing in your podcast is so powerful, because I think that could often a conversation can be the difference between what one person decides to do and what they decide not to do. And so I'm really curious for you in terms of, as you often see these crossroads yourself, what is that linchpin that can turn someone from going towards one side of, say, destruction or numbness or the other side of transforming their lives? That is a, uh, to borrow a word that you used earlier, juicy question. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it really is just about, I think one, who you're surrounded by, absolutely, right? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. um, And I fully, fully believe that. At the same time, I do think that 
there does come a point in people's lives where they have to really sit in and sit with the discomfort. Like you said, I have a, I have a choice to make right now. And then you see it in movies, you see it in Hollywood, right? Like this person who's self-destructive and, you know, their room is a mess and all the relationships are a mess. And there comes a point of self-reckoning when the pain of being who you are now or the pain of the status quo, the pain of staying there is worse than the pain of changing or the pain of transforming. And so until that scale, that balance shifts in that manner, people are either going to continue down the path of comfort and the path of negativity, disempowering thoughts or whatever it is, or they're going to be, or they come to a point where they realize, oh, oh shit, like something's got to change. Something has got to give because I have a vision of what the future is going to be like if this continues. You know, it's same for people who like have struggle with addiction. There comes a point where, you know, I've talked to, you know, I talk to people who are substance use abusers, right? Like, because part of my job is pain management and they do talk about that. Like there's a moment where there's just like, I, I cannot keep doing this. And so I think it's about having the self-awareness to say like, where am I right now? Is this where I want to be? Where do I want to go in the future? And how can I adjust accordingly so that I turn the boat a little bit towards the direction where I want to go rather than the way that I have been going so far? Mm. What I'm hearing is each person's rock bottom, whatever their rock bottom, in terms of that sobering moment of where I am now and where it's where I am, where this could continue to go. Or what do I see that is up there, over there, that I I choose to do different, to go towards because where I am is so uncomfortable? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And we all have that potential. You know, mm. we all have that. It doesn't seem like a choice, but it is. Mm. I think that's so interesting in terms of that aspect, in terms of choice, because um, I think choice gets talked about a lot, but often also we hear a lot of, I have no choice. And I think especially when faced towards death, I mean, how much more absolute can it get in terms of it's 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 death or it's death? And I think often as humans, we want to fix things. We want to alleviate the pain. We want to fix it. We want to move as far away from mortality as possible. If you think about all the different things that we try to do to protect ourselves or to um, avoid pain or avoid putting ourselves in a position where we could die um i think there is a huge resistance to or, or there is a huge i think um sense of motivation to want to go far from from death but at the same time i find it's really interesting because although we think from a survival standpoint we want to go far from it that often there are things that we do and choose that if anything bring us closer to it so I'm really curious around that when it comes to um, choice, and especially for you having been in so many of those rooms where people are talking about their regrets or family members are talking about their regrets or talking about choices that they have in a moment when it may seem like there is no other choice because they're like, 
the eminent aspect that we do not get to run away from right now is death. How do you make a choice from that place? How do you still feel like you have a choice when you feel like you have no choice? Mm. So when patients and families are in those times in these kind of dire straits, when you know what's coming Mm. and the doctors have told you, we think you have this much time left, et cetera, et cetera. There are people who, you know, again, it goes back to who they are, but there are people who say, you know what, I cannot control what's going forward. And I think the control piece is really big. It's it's kind of letting go and releasing our own obligation and saying like, I cannot control what's going to happen. I cannot control when I'm going to die or how or whatever. I just know that it's coming up. And I choose and I realize that during this time that I have left, maybe I didn't my entire life, but now I want to live in a way that feels aligned with who I am. I want to live in a way that is going to make me happy with the time that I have left. And so, and because they probably realized, you know, I could spend the rest of my days being sad. I could be depressed. I could worry and get overwhelmed and be like, why God, why me? And all of this stuff. And some do, and some can't get out of that. But the others who really take it to heart are like, you know what? I'm going to live in accordance with what's important to me. And what's important to me right now is to go out the way that I want. And the way that I want to do it is I want to be positive. I want to spend time with my family. I want to, you know, eat ice cream from the bucket until, you know, I vomit, whatever it is. And so it, it doesn't feel like a choice, but there always is a choice. No matter how thinly you slice something, there's always two sides. I think Mm. the people who can really grasp that and understand that are the ones that suffer the least when it comes to the existential distress of being at the end of life. Mm. I think that's really powerful. Just the aspect that you brought up around, you may not like your options, but you always have a choice. And I think that's the differentiation that I'm hearing that I think often we mix up the two. We think that options are the same as choice, but you always have a choice with your options, even if you don't like the options, even if they're uncomfortable. And I'm really curious for you in terms of having been in that room so many times interacted with death. What are things that after you walk out of that room from your experiences that you think, I wish people knew about this. And if they only knew about this, their whole lives would change. What would that be for you in terms of from what you've experienced? I wish people knew how leading it is and how, I'll say this, like, you know, Gary Vee talks a lot about how, like, when you're 20, you probably live to 60 and all this stuff and 70, you have like your whole life ahead of you, which is true for the, you know, for many, many people, we're going to live a ripe old age. And at the same time, accidents happen. And I've had patients who, you know, I had one guy who was hanging draperies in the nursery for his new kid. And 
you know, he fell off the ladder and he, you know, became brain dead. Um, and that was it. Wow. You know, I've, I've, you know, seen people get run over by trucks. I've had patients who were here visiting family from another country, and then they get diagnosed with this terrible cancer and they have to fly back without that person. And so, and I say this in one way to kind of light a fire and provide a sense of urgency, but also to say, to enjoy the time that you have while you're aware of it, while you still have it. We think that we have to have these like big moments in our lives or we wait until the end or we wait until like, I'm going to take that huge trip on our 50th wedding anniversary. Well, like, what if you never make it to 50 years together? Mm. You know, what if you only get X amount of time? And if you have the means to take that trip to use the nice stemware or whatever else you were saving for later, why not do it now Mm. while you have the time to enjoy it, while you have the ability to communicate, while you have the ability to tell people how much they mean to you. That's another thing too, is we don't say, or we don't show people how much we care about them and how much they mean to us until something traumatic happens, until something, you know, forces us to reckon with that. We take for granted, like our appendages and our health. And we just think that we're going to be like this forever when in reality, that's that's not the case. And so uh, I, I just wish that people could see like in those moments, how beautiful it actually is to just be alive. Like mm. to literally get up out of bed, look down at your feet and be like, I, my feet are above ground. It's gonna be a good day. Cause what's the alternative, mm. right? What is the alternative? And that, you know, our lives are made up of these little moments. And if we can just lean into those little moments a little bit more, it's just going to make it that much sweeter, that much richer of an experience. Mm. That's powerful. I think what you just said there around how fleeting life is, I think that there is a sense of invincibility sometimes. I think that we have is like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And I think if anything, COVID actually made it very, very tangible for everyone globally, how fast something can happen where all of a sudden everything that we knew is gone in a snap of a finger. I think that was the most powerful. I think if anything from that is how fleeting it is. Like you said, things that we used to take for granted, how fast it, how fast it can not be there anymore. Um, it just really hit home when you said that hanging drapes, I'm thinking about I was hanging drapes for my son. You know, pretty, I know. I was like, oh, before. should I not tell him this like no, ex- I, example? I, I think I think that's uh, that that's powerful though, because if anything, I think moments like that we can either be like, oh, like really be really scared, or if anything, it's like, wow, like yeah, that that could have happened. And I think we never think about those things. And if anything, it makes me want to run up and go hug my son right now because you know, even when he keeps me up at three thirty a.m., it's and I, I have moments like that where I see videos of families that share stillborn children or share how they lost their child after um, a a very short amount of time, I just think, wow, like, to your point, what is the alternative? What is the alternative? Is it uncomfortable at 3.30 a.m.? I got to get up and he won't go to sleep? Yeah, but what's the alternative? Um, And I something I'm, I'm really curious about, and I myself have struggled with this. What is the fine line between living with urgency and living in desperation? 
you know, this was something that when I first started this, um, this work that I had to wrestle with as well, because you're bombarded with it on a daily basis. And then, you know, time is finite. We all have 24 hours a day. And it's also just like, oh my God, you know, people are saying like, live each day as if it's your last. And I, I, agree with the sentiment, but practically speaking, that's not possible, right? Mm. If today literally was my last day, like I would never go to work. <laughs> like, I, I would, you know, I would like, Very true. Just, right. Like I wouldn't shower or I wouldn't, you know, whatever it is. So there's the line between like, yes, life is short, take, you know, action while you can. I think the sentiment is to be intentional. The sentiment is really setting an intention. For me, what's helped recently is really just like, what are the two, three things that I really want to do today? And if I can't choose that, just one, whether that's advancing my business, my own personal growth, my health, my family life, whatever it is. And to say like, if I am doing that with purpose every single day, then I'm moving my life in the direction that I want it to go. And I think it's more about saying like, if I were to die tomorrow, am I really trying? Like, am I squeezing what I can out of life? Am I taking advantage of opportunities? Am I taking action? Like you said, when it's scary, especially because it's scary, am I, you know, being true to who I am? Am I being authentic? And that's something that, you know, you talk about a lot on this podcast too. So it, that line is not necessarily like, you know, never go to work, only do the things that you really want to do because you're going to die tomorrow. But mm. it's saying like, yes, there's a time and a place for it. But at the same time, how you spend your time is how you live your life. So if you want to have a life that's beautiful, amazing, meaningful, fulfilling, then you have to spend your time doing things that are beautiful, amazing, fulfilling, and meaningful. And I think we get bogged down with how we spend our days because it's so easy to just be on autopilot and just be like, oh, well, I went to work, I came back home, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, it's 10 o'clock, it's time for bed. And then you do it over and over and over again. And then decades pass and you're like, oh, I'm here now? Like, what have I done with the past 20 years of my life? Mm. I think that is a powerful way to really tie together this conversation. I think what you just said there around, it's not about the time that you have, it's how intentional you are with that time. And I think that is the part that we can really take away, I think, from this conversation is that it, we don't have control over the amount of time that we have. We don't have control over what happens in our lives. But what we do have control over is how we intentional, how intentional we are about every moment that we do have, what we want to do with it, who we're spending it with. Our being in each moment. And if that was it, will we have, will we feel like we gave it our all? And I think that is so incredibly powerful. What is the, you know, as we, we tie together this conversation, what is the one takeaway that our audience can have in terms of if there's something that they can do differently today, that they can, from all this, aside from digesting it, what is the takeaway? What is the one thing that they can they can tweak, they can do differently today that would make such a big difference in who they get to be tomorrow, no matter what that tomorrow looks like? I would say have a vision of what you want the rest of your life, 
life to look like from here on out. Make it really clear, make it beautiful and enticing and compelling, fill it with details, like really encapsulate what that looks like in your head, who you are, who you're hanging out with, where you're living, all of that. Fill it in with as many details as possible and then make it so compelling that it pulls you towards that because you are in charge of where you take your life. I just recorded a episode about like you being the artist, the, the creative director of your own life. We all have this blank canvas in front of us, which is from here on out until we die. There is a blank space. How are you going to fill it up? What are you going to put in there? How are you going to make it your masterpiece? And it comes from a decision to say like today is the rest of there's the start of the rest of my life. Today I make the decision, I make the choice to say, I'm going to be different. Something's going to be different because that's how I want to live. I don't want to live in this way anymore. I want to live in that way. And that's what I want to leave your audience with. Powerful. Awesome. If you guys take away anything, that is such a powerful gold nugget right there. If you just do that one thing, have a vision for your life, fill it up with the juiciness, the the colors, the 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 ways that it would make it enticing and and beautiful rich for you i think that is the the best thing that you can do for yourself today is to create that vision because when you have that vision you can really start living with the end in mind and so thank you so much dr kathy for being on this podcast and for our audience that wants to find out more about you and your work where can they find you yeah it's been such a pleasure speaking with you like had such a great time. I am on Instagram at Purpose Filter, and my podcast is The Purpose Filter, and it's available on any platform where you listen to podcasts. So yeah, get in touch with me. I love to meet new people and connect. So yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I love this conversation. and I love it when it's raw and authentic. And I, I think this was probably one of my favorite conversations actually on this podcast. I've had a lot of them and I'm not just saying that because um, I, I love it when it's just so deep and rich. And I really think that there's a lot that our audience can take away. So thank you so much, Dr. Kathy, for being on this podcast again. Um, I really, really appreciate you and appreciate the time, the gold nuggets that you uh, that you have shared with us here in, in, in our time together. Anytime. Talk soon, Paul. Absolutely. And for our audience, thank you so much for joining us once again. And until next time, keep being fully, unapologetically, authentically you. We'll see you next time. The Yes I Can podcast is directed by Paul Can. Executive producers of the podcast are Paul Can, Chelsea Lynn, and Joy Sauce.